forward to what the Lent season can hold for all of us in this uh, quest for spiritual renewal. Now, with all these uh, blizzards going on and all this winter being so crazy and everything, I've, I've been longing for the days where I lived in Dallas. And it happened that we moved to Dallas, my family and I, in the summer of 1995 when I was 10 years old. And as luck would have it, uh, when we went to Dallas, that 95-96 season for, the, for football was the last time the Dallas Cowboys won the Super Bowl. So Dallas was football crazy. I mean, they're always football crazy, but especially with the Cowboys in the Super Bowl. So I quickly became a fan, and I'm still a fan today. And I loved everything about the Cowboys, including the unique stadium that they played in called Texas Stadium. One of the things that was unique about this stadium was that it was only partially covered. All the fans, all the stands had a cover of of the roof, but there was a hole in the roof that left the field exposed to the elements. And there was a famous saying by one of the linebackers, when the stadium was built, they had a hole in the roof so that God could watch his favorite team play football. And I took that to heart. I thought, this has got to be God's favorite team. And so I was so invested in this team as as a younger boy, and so I would pray for them to win. And, And wouldn't you know it, that first season, all my prayers came true. And then after that, not so much. They haven't been back to the Super Bowl since. And turns out, as I got a bit older, I found out that God isn't too interested in sports. He's not really looking for me to pray for one specific team to win. He doesn't maybe feel burdened to move in that way. So the question then becomes whether we are young in our journey or or older and further along the road, what does God look for? What does he want in our prayer life? What does he care about? Now that is exactly what Jesus is teaching his disciples and now us, the readers today in Luke chapter 11. He begins this chapter by teaching his disciples how to pray. He says, pray like this. And then he gives them the Lord's Prayer. Gives them the Lord's Prayer. And so I wanted us to do this together. So I'm going to invite you, if you're here, you can stand. If you're at home, you can stand. We're going to pray this prayer together. I'm going to have it on screen in case you um, don't know the words or going to forget the words. I'm going to look at the words because I'm worried that I'm going to be that pastor that all of a sudden forgets the words to the Lord's Prayer. I don't want to be part of the next Daily Bonnet headline. And then I pastor forgets Lord's Prayer, right? The Earl and Carolyn, if you want to pass that one on to Andrew, you can feel free to do that. Um, do we have the words there for the Lord's Prayer? All right, let's bring those up just so that I don't. And so just another thing, before we pray this together, I, I went to the version of the Lord's Prayer from Matthew, not from Luke, and I used the old language because this is how I memorized it, and many of us may know it. Um, but let's pray this prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you for praying with me. It's important to say this Lord's Prayer, not just by rote, but to recognize that this is a prayer that Jesus gave his followers as an example of of how we should pray, as an example of what is important in prayer to God and how we should respond. And so as we pick up our core passage today, which will be Luke 11, verses 5 to 13, we realize that what Jesus is teaching here is an extension. After he's given them the Lord's Prayer, he continues to teach in detail about what God cares about in prayer. And what I found fascinating in my own study is that, yes, there are instructions here about how we should respond, how we should pray, but ultimately it all stems from the character of God, who he is, 
what he desires for his people, what he desires for our prayer life. That makes all the difference in the world. So if you are following along and have your Bibles open at home, you can turn to Luke 11, starting in verse 5. If not, you can just listen to these words and follow along, and we will listen to the rest of the teaching of Jesus after he gave the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus said to his disciples, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot give, get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? May God give his blessing to the reading of his word. And Jesus just continues then to go from this example of prayer into this teaching on prayer. And he uses really three parables, or maybe one parable and then a second parable told in two different ways. And the first parable lets us all know that God wants you to ask. God wants you to ask for things in prayer. Again, this is part of his nature. This is part of his love. It's part of what he wants us to do, and he wants us to ask. Now, the parable focuses on a friend knocking on the door of his other friend in the middle of the night and and making a very specific request or a favor. He needs three loaves of bread for someone who's traveled and now he is hosting unexpectedly. Now midnight or the middle of the night is not a time when you should have been knocking on anybody's door. This would have been completely unexpected. It would have been socially unacceptable. This would have been a nuisance in every meaning of the word. Now, this friend who's knocking on the door is burdened by a code of hospitality. When someone has traveled a long distance and they would stay with somebody that they know, it would have been up to the person to host them well and to provide what they need. And he has this burden now. He, He needs to provide something to eat. And this was his problem, but it isn't necessarily the problem of his friend who's trying to go to bed, trying to get some sleep. And so this is a very onerous request, something that, really wasn't uh, a request that would have been made. And the initial response of the person from inside the house says, no, go away. My door is shut. My children are with me in bed. And I wish I could go back and tell this guy, listen, co-sleeping is a bad idea. You don't want to do it. And that's not anything that I wouldn't recommend that. But many people in those days didn't have that option, that opportunity. This was likely a one-room household. And in that case, then there would have been a a raised platform at the far end of the house in which all of the family would have gone down and used as a bed together at night. And and in many one-room homes, there also would have been animals that were let in for the evening and would have used the rest of the main floor. So this is the setting. There's no way for him to get up and to get this bread without upsetting the rest of his family as they are trying to sleep. But what changes his mind? The answer is no. The door is shut. I am sleeping. Go away. Well, the thing that changes his mind was not friendship. <laughs> Wouldn't it have been a nice story or a nice parable that said, but this friend just loved his friend so much that he was willing to get up 
and get him the loaves of bread. No, that's not the point that Jesus is making. That's not what changes his mind. Instead, it is the impudence of the one making the request, which is a very interesting word. We're going to unpack that in a little more. But, but, but there's a few things going on here and a few things at play that we need to, to realize. One thing is that this is taking place in an honor-shame culture. And so when this person makes a request, uh, the one who is inside the home want, doesn't want to be shamed by refusing his request. There is now this burden of honor that would motivate him to do what is needed to help his other friend be hospitable. He, he wants to achieve this honor. He does not want to be shamed by not coming through with that request. And now we don't have an honor-shame culture the way that, that the original audience would have understood this. Uh, we're very individualistic, but that is certainly one factor at play. But beyond that, it is the brashness of the request of this friend. The fact that he won't go away. The fact that he is willing to come in the middle of the night and ask for those three loaves. It is that that makes all the difference. So again, what does this word mean? Impudence. I mean, we don't use it very often in the English language. Maybe you do. You're probably a bit more well-spoken than I am, more well-read. But it's also not used often in the New Testament. In fact, this is the only instance in the entire New Testament where we see this word. And we can translate this word. It literally means shamelessness. Shamelessness. We can also describe it using the word audacity. I mean, this friend needed three loaves. And he was unafraid to ask in the middle of the night. It was a shameless, audacious request. One which eventually led to an answer. And so if we want to know In what way does God invite us to ask? How does God want us to ask? Jesus now invites his followers to pray in the same manner, to pray shamelessly, to pray audaciously, to pray boldly. Now, we do not have to be timid as we approach God's throne. We don't have to worry about waking him up in the middle of the night. We don't have to worry about offending him with our request. God can take it. He has invited us to approach him. We have the ability to boldly go before the throne of God in prayer. And all of this is possible through Jesus paving the way. As Paul describes for us in Romans 8.34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So we know that at the moment where Jesus breathed his last breath, And that veil in the temple, that barrier between God's presence and his people was torn in two. And so because of that sacrifice and because Jesus rose again, ascended to heaven, even now he continues to be that intermediary, that path that we can can use and trust and rely on to, to approach God and to have our prayers heard by God. This is all possible through the work of Jesus Christ as he is interceding for us. The veil is torn. And so now we can approach God boldly with big, open, honest, and audacious requests. So we have this wonderful invitation that we should not worry about bringing these bold requests before God, but this should not turn our prayer life into trying to get what we want out of God. This is not about us burdening God for all of the the small desires of our heart. The man in the parable was not seeking something for himself necessarily. He was looking for bread for a traveler. In the Lord's Prayer that Jesus just taught and that we recited together, the requests that he say are God-honoring are for God's kingdom to come, for the daily bread that we need, that we require to get through our day, for forgiveness of our sins and also for us to be able to forgive other people. 
and also this ability to overcome temptation. These are the things that are in line with God's heart, and these are the types of things that we can bring forward in boldness to him. Notice there's nothing here about praying for the Cowboys to win or praying for a brand new car because we saw our our neighbors upgrade just a week ago. Or even for students, it's not a prayer to uh, miraculously pass a test that you forgot to study for in the days leading up to it. (laughs) So many ways in which we have these self-centered desires, and this is not an invitation. This is not what Jesus is teaching. No, we need to pray in line with Scripture. We need to pray in line with the heart of God. He wants us to ask, and he wants us to ask for the things that he loves, that he desires, that are in line with his character. If you want to know what this looks like, we have a wonderful example in Genesis 18. It's the example of Abraham as he is praying for God to relent in his judgment on Sodom. You know, Abraham had a wonderful personal relationship with God, and he went and he boldly asked him for many different things. And and God had outlined to Abraham his plan to, to destroy Sodom because of the great evil that was there. So God, in his perfect justice, was fully in his rights to do this act, to to hold the people to account in this way. And yet Abraham, I'm sure, is, is thinking of his nephew Lot and his family, and he wants to protect them. But more than that, he wants to have God act mercifully to the people of Sodom. And so he goes before God, after God says, I will do this thing. And he comes, and I'm going to paraphrase, but you can read it for yourself. Genesis 18, he says, God, I know you have this plan to destroy the whole city of Sodom, but if there's... 50 righteous people there, would you relent? and Would you show mercy? God said, I will do this for 50 people. And I would think, hey, Abraham, that's great. That took a lot of guts to go before God, right at that moment of judgment. So cut your losses and go. God said he he would relent for 50 people. But then he says, well, wait, God, just one one more second. I would hate for the whole city to be destroyed just for five righteous people. So what if you found 45? And God says, "I I will relent for 45. I will show mercy for 45 righteous people. And Abraham doesn't stop there. He is shameless in his persistent prayer. He says, what if there's only 30, 20? What if there's only 10 righteous people? Then, God, will you relent? And and Abraham pushes his luck. He pushes the boundaries. He is unafraid to bring that bold request before God. And that took some courage, even though it didn't change the end result or the outcome. Abraham showed us what it means to pray shamelessly in line with what he knows God's heart to be and we know that God can handle those type of requests. But when we are asked, uh, when God invites us to ask, we also need to make sure that we learn from this parable that we are to pray persistently. Part of the impudence, part of the shamelessness, part of the audacity in this parable was the persistence of the friend. He wasn't going anywhere until he got what he wanted, what he needed. He had knocked on that door. He was waiting for those loaves, and he wasn't going to go until he received what he needed. In the same way, Jesus invites his followers to pray persistently for the requests that are on their heart. We are called to pray and to ask and to do so persistently. This is made even more clear later on in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, where Jesus tells another parable, the parable of the persistent widow, something that we uh, learned together just in the summer. And in that instance, this widow has an injustice, a wrong that she needs to be made right, and she can't do it on her own. So she comes before this judge every day and asks. And this judge is an unjust judge. He is, is not fair. He doesn't want to give in to this right ask or request of the widow. And so she comes before him day after day after day. And he says, fine, just to get rid of you, 
I will give you this request. I will grant the justice that you need. Now, we will not wear God out with our prayers. We will not pester him. We will not perturb him. He invites us to keep them coming. So you are invited to ask, and then to ask, and then to ask, and then to ask again. Now, in both parables, with the friend and the loaves and the persistent widow, the example are of imperfect people who need to be worn down through persistence before they say yes. So the friend did not want to get out of bed. So then this person was persisting in their request until he said yes. And the judge did not want to grant the widow her request, but she persisted and wore him down until he said yes. But God does not need us to do that. Our perfect heavenly father does not require persistence to be worn down. We should not think of it as as needing to kind of continue to add the weight of our requests over and over and over again, that somehow there's this threshold where if there's enough weight that will tip the scales and God will finally give us what we need. That is not why God invites us to pray persistently. But then the question of is, is, is then why? Why does Jesus teach about the importance of persistent prayer? Not because it is needed to require God to do something of us, but because it serves to test our own resolve in what we are asking for. If you really want something, that you really want it, then you will be unafraid to ask for it over and over and over and over again. And this is one way I believe that God has invited us to pray in such a way that will help us avoid all those small, selfish, motivated requests that we talked about. Because we may like them a little bit, we may want them a little bit, but they're not going to be the the prayers that burden our heart to, to bring before God day after day after day after day. Those are the requests that we really, really want. And this is true in our lives. If we really want something, we're not going to let it be. We're going to go after it. For Christmas, my family gifted me with a video game, NHL 22. I love it. I play it quite often. And now that we have this video game, for the first time, I invited my oldest son, Eli, to start playing video games with me. So we're playing NHL 22 together, and we're having a lot of fun. We started out winning the World Junior Tournament with Canada, as it should have been the case originally. And now we are in the Stanley Cup Finals with the Winnipeg Jets, which is where you know that this is truly a video game and nothing at all like real life. But we love to do this. But we can't always find time to play together, especially I can get very busy. And so we bring this home, we start playing together, and then there was a bit of a time where we had to set it aside. And he asked me all the time, can we play NHL 22? And I say, no, a little bit later. Can we play NHL 22? Can we play? Can we play? Well, not today. So the first thing he asked me the next day, can we play NHL 22? He wants to do this so bad. And it just pours out in persistence. He's not doing it to nag me or to bother me. He just wants to do this. And so he is asking persistently. It is that type of motivation that that should be true in our prayer life. That we should be concerned, not again, with video games or with sports teams or with the things that we want, but there should be things in our life that we need, that our heart breaks to see happen. And we should bring those to God each and every day out of how important they are to us. So what does your prayer life reveal about what you really want? What prayer has maybe dropped away that you need to pick up again because it is truly that important? God invites you to ask and ask shamelessly and boldly and ask persistently. Yet the second thing that Jesus teaches about God in our prayer life is that God is a heavenly father who wants to give you good gifts. This is his heart towards you. This is his ability to follow through. And in order to make this point known, Jesus uses the how much more principle. 
It's a well-known teaching tool that many rabbis used in Jesus' day that, that, that really tells us about God's desire to give good gifts. So Jesus will say, if this lesser thing is true, then how much more will this greater thing be true? In particular, to those second two parables, if imperfect or evil earthly fathers want to give good gifts to their children, if the lesser thing is true, how much more will your perfect, loving, heavenly father desire to give you good gifts? This is the point that he makes. And, and the examples that Jesus uses focuses on then these imperfect heaven, uh, sorry, earthly fathers and, and their son comes and asks them for something to eat. So he says, which one among you, which one of, of you parents, if your kid comes and asks you for something to eat, and they want a fish, would give them a serpent? Or if they asked for an egg, would give them a scorpion? Now we have to remember that serpents and scorpions were incredibly unclean creatures, not kosher in the least. And they were just used by Jesus one chapter ago in Luke 10, we went over last week, they were used as the symbol of evil demonic supernatural forces, serpents and scorpions, using the same language. And so this example is saying, uh, instead of giving something that your child would love, you give them something that they hate. Now, our food preferences are different, and our culture is different. One of the things that I really hate to eat, I really hate cucumbers. I know that is, that is weird, but this is one of the foods that I hate the most. And so the parable for me would make sense if, if Jesus said, if you asked for a hamburger, instead someone would give you a cucumber. That would just be terrible. So you could, you could start to put any different example in here because, of course, all of these are, are cultural. They're personal to us. We need to understand the greater point. Um, I shared in my intro just how our family joined Wycliffe Bible Translators. And my dad was not a translator. He was a computer guy working on IT stuff for missionaries. But we got to hear many different stories of those who were on the missions field. One story always stuck with me. It has everything to do with this text. It was a translator sharing the story of how they went into this unreached people group and they got to know the tribe and they learned the language and then they learned the written language and they began to translate the scripture and they were translating Luke 11 and they were teaching this to the tribe and they had this question. Who among you, if a son asks for a fish, would give them a snake? And every single one of them raised their hand. <laughs> they said, we would, because in that context, the snake was a delicacy. It was the number one thing that people would love to eat. It was, it was what they wanted above all else. And so if they were to translate that word for word, they would actually miss the greater point that Jesus is trying to make. And the point is this, which earthly father, even in our imperfection, what earthly parent does not want to give a good gift to someone who asks for it? Even these imperfect fathers, mothers, parents, nieces, uh, or sorry, uh, aunts and uncles and grandparents, we all want to give good gifts. I've had to think about this specifically in, uh, recently because my uh, middle child, Malachi, is about to turn seven. Right? Seven? Is that right, Karen? Oh, phew. Okay. Uh, he's going to be seven, and it's going to happen next Sunday on, on February 27th. And so if we're able to be all back together then, then you can go and say happy birthday to Malachi. And so we were talking with him uh, just in our kitchen about, well, what, what kind of uh, party do you want? What friends are you going to want to invite? And then Karen and I were, you know, half talking, half joking. But what, what gift do we want to give Malachi? And I said, I think this year I'm going to give him the gift of room and board. <laughs> and then he looks at me and says, what's room and board? I said, well, that's where you have the privilege of eating my food and sleeping under my roof. He's like, well, I don't want that for my birthday. I'm like, fine, then you don't get it this year. 
And, uh, and so it was, uh, we had a good laugh over that, and he, he doesn't take me seriously anymore, and I, I, I wonder why that's the case. Uh, I will continue to give him room and board, just internet as you're out there watching live stream. Uh, that is going to be ironclad. We will think of something else to give him for his birthday. But I do want to give a good gift. I'm excited to give my children good gifts. And how much more will Malachi's heavenly father desire to bless him? How much more will your heavenly father desire to give you these good things? So that is the heart of God. And yet we also know that Jesus isn't teaching that we will receive whatever we want. This is not the focus of the passage. We know this isn't how life works. We do not have the ability to conjure up anything in our mind and then demand that God give it to us. Yet we know that we are promised by God to be heard. We're promised to receive an answer. And we're promised God's presence. He says, if you, if you, uh, was, I'm going to reread it. I'm going to, I'm going to not do it properly if I don't read this. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Ask, seek, knock. But God cannot be reduced to a cosmic vending machine where we put in our requests, put in a little bit of faith to pay for it, and then exactly what we want is dispensed to us. This is not the character of God. This is not how life works. We need to understand that God desires and will give us good gifts, but he will do so because he is God. He will do so out of his sovereignty, out of his decision, out of his choice, and yet also out of his love. And this is something that I wrestled with. A, a year ago, uh, right now, my mom was terminally ill. And so I went to a passage, exactly this passage, and many more like it. And I said, I'm going to go to God, and I'm going to pray each and every day for my mom to be healed. That was my prayer. God, heal her, heal her, heal her, each and every day. Prayed boldly, prayed persistently. And I prayed what I believe is in line with what God desires. And so I boldly went before him each and every day. And over the course of this time, before my mom went home, God was teaching me something. And very, very clearly, and this is something that I believe is in line with his word, He says, Andrew, I I have invited you to ask, but I also invite you to accept whatever answer I choose to give. So please ask, also please accept. And I think that is completely what what Jesus is talking about in here. We are are, are, are just encouraged to go before God boldly. But yes, we're also encouraged to let God have the last say for him to give us these requests and answer them in his good timing, in his good way, and with his good answer. God will give us what is best, even though, when we can't make sense of it. And I don't want that to become too cliche. Okay, we can't make sense of it. It's still what's best. Listen, I lived this. I know the tension that's there. I know how uncomfortable it is. I have questions that I am wishing will be answered, and maybe one day they will. But in the middle, I will continue to trust that God will give what is best, even when it doesn't make sense. And yet this isn't just to qualify what God has promised. It's not to say that God will never, he wants to give us good gifts and we have seen this happen. Just last week, right here, we had a wonderful testimony by Hilda, one of our new members. And Hilda shared in her testimony all of the very specific ways that God had answered her prayer in keeping people safe, in miraculous healing, in terminal cancer going into remission for someone who did not even know Jesus personally. God loves to do these things. He longs to do them, and he is perfectly capable of following through. And in our own church family, I had the opportunity to get on the phone with Robert Borden this past week, who had a very uh, serious health scare, a 
a few weeks ago, uh, he, he collapsed in his own home and they had to rush him to hospital. And there was something in his heart that had come detached. And they did emergency surgery on him and he made a full recovery at home. He's still on that road to recovery, but he is going to be okay. But if he wouldn't have gone into the hospital right away, if they wouldn't have caught it in time, he might not be here with us. And so I'm talking to Robert. I want to know how he is doing. And over and over and over again, all he can say is, our God, he is good. He is mighty. He is loving. And he says, every prayer that was given to me was a prayer answered. And so, yes, we know that we don't always get the answers that we want in the way that we want, but we do get so many things that we bring before God because he is a God who desires to give us good gifts. And we see that at work even in our own church family. Of course, of all these good gifts, the best gift is that of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus ends this account in Luke, not by saying, ask for anything and you'll receive anything. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. And what is it? He says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give whatever we want? No. Whatever we ask? No. He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Jesus asks us to lift our eyes up, to not ask for things that are too little, to recognize that the thing that we need more than anything else is the abiding Holy Spirit within us. And this is one promise that you can take to the bank. God will always answer this honest prayer with a resounding yes. When you come to him and you make that request, I I want the Holy Spirit in my life. I want your spirit with me every step of the way. God will always say yes. Once again, made possible only through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And if you haven't asked to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit yet, then I would say that today is a wonderful day to do it. To know in all certainty, because of what Jesus has taught and because of what he has done on the cross and because of the victory he has over sin and death, that you can ask this of God today. God, send your spirit to abide in me and the answer will be yes. And if you desire the spirit in fuller measure, even though that request was made in the past many years ago, if you want that spirit in fuller measure, all you have to do is ask. All you have to do is ask. And what we do is is receive the best gift that can ever be given to us. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up and we are going to um, sing one final song together. Before we do that, I have a few things that you can take home. Um, I call it take home because I assumed we'd all be here, but maybe we can just like do at home or continue at home since you're already at home right now. Uh, and I want to make sure we always have practical steps. So what, what can we do after we've learned all this about prayer? Well, the first thing you can do is I want you to write down your top audacious, shameless, bold prayer request to God. Something that you maybe have been holding back because you just don't know if, if, if God's really going to be interested in, in answering that. No, bring it to him. What has God laid on your heart? What is the number one burden, that thing that you'd love to see happen? And then once you have identified what that bold request would be, then I want you to pray persistently, daily, always, over and over and over again. And then as you do this, share with us. When we get back together, share how God has answered these prayers. Share how he has proven himself to be a father who desires to give good gifts and let us celebrate that.